Well, I just wanted to ask you, and I don't know whether we should do it, but um, <laughs> if, you, if you don't know whether we should do it, we should definitely do it. That's the nature of this podcast. Well, there's an NBA reporter that has a an album out. I don't know. Do you follow Claire? Claire Delune? Yeah, I have listened to her stuff. It is very kind of breathy, boring, yeah, tedious, it's, it's fucking. Definitely not in our not in our soft, soft yeah. focus. And it's like, but you're actually a pretty good NBA reporter. It seems like a good crossover. Yeah, there. yeah. No, I, I, I think that's um, you know, that'd be like listening to Taylor Swift because it's important. No, no, we don't have to do that because you know what it's going to sound like. It's not going to sound like anything you actually want to listen to. Yeah, and then it'll be bad that we shit on it. So. Well, then we'll never be able to, you know, we'll, we'll be killed. We'll be killed. <laughs> so we'll judicial be killed. executions will we'll follow because um, you're not allowed to have bad opinions of, of Taylor Swift. Um, anyway, shall we talk about some music that we actually have listened to extensively since we've had it for a full not- fortnight? We should do that. Where do you want to start this week? On Tripping Balls. I'm Doc Bezo. This was a new music podcast. <sighs> not all of our music this week will be new, but um, it'll be some of it will be new to us. Let's start with the old, because... Let's start with with our classic album, Joker album. What are are we calling the... uh, I'm I'm calling this a Joker. A Joker. It's officially not a classic. (laughs) So this is the type specimen difficult second album, even though it was Nirvana's third album, In Utero. So this was the big follow-up to Nevermind, which was... You kind of have to remember the context for what all music existed in in the early 90s which was the idea that to sell out was the worst possible thing and to have a commercial sound was the worst possible thing Metallica had just released their most popular album ever and all their fans said this is sell out fucking cock rock bullshit it's been destroyed you know you've destroyed Metallica by releasing the Black Album which was by far their most popular album but it had been Bob Rocked to hell in terms of the production st- uh, standards and the same was argued as being the case for Nevermind, which which had had Butch Vig on the dials. I think they wanted to get Albini, but they ended up getting Butch Vig at the time. And then it had been mixed at Geffen's. And it is, although it is, you know, a depressing grunge album, it is certainly the production has more in common with a Bob Rock Metallica album than it does with a lot of other, other grunge acts. Which brings us to In Utero in 1993, which, which has the reputation of being Kurt Cobain's suicide note. And it's always been difficult to dissociate that and and the proximity with which he died shortly afterwards and the fact that he had several overdoses and was clearly trying to kill himself multiple times between the recording of this album and and when he eventually succeeded. Uh, It it becomes really difficult to to sort of divorce those two ideas. This probably did sound non-commercial and roar and and all of that in period, but because of so much stuff that has come after it and from this this sounded like I, I, I know it's not derivative because it is what all that other stuff came from it, like it is the source but <laughs> but it's hard to see what everyone was so upset about yeah I, I it's, didn't enjoy this at all well, <laughs> it's just really well was that because was that was because it was so miserable and depressed or was that because it was so I just didn't think it was very good really well, I don't think the I don't think the songs are as good. It wasn't as grim as I was expecting. 
as as Chris Novoselic pointed out on that podcast he did with with Conan, I mean, you, sure you can listen to the lyrics and go, oh look, he's clearly trying to, t-, you know, he's clearly suicidal, wants to top himself. You can do the same with Soundgarden lyrics, and the fact that yeah. the fact that um, Chris Cornell didn't actually do himself in for another thirty years afterwards isn't really the point. It's it's you can you can kind of get a bit too focused up with that. What I listened to it for was was the production because I was interested to see what that did and. It's, I just don't. I don't think I enjoyed that either. It's very flat. Yeah. It, 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 but I think that's the idea because they wanted it to sound like a Pixies album. The thing is, and the thing about the songwriting, I, I, just, though, I just think Nevermind had all the best songs. It, this, yeah, it had much better songs, but it, it might be that classic. You know, when you get big enough that you don't need an editor, it, your stuff's not as good. Well, no, um, I, I think Balbini produced the album the way he was asked to. The problem yeah. is that I don't think. The band's idea of what the, they should sound like was better than the label's idea of what they should sound like. Yeah, and the other thing, some of the well, songwriting I, I, is, is I pretty. Think, sorry, like if you if you've watched that classic albums with Vig, it, it, you know, doing Nevermind, it, it really did seem like uh, like a like a real proper push pull when you get two creative forces that mm-hmm. come from very different places, but both are sort of pushing you to become a better thing. You know, like a, a combination of well, your idea is different to mine, but it actually is additive. Mm. Whereas this seems like the production and the band were on the same page. They both wanted the same thing, but I don't necessarily think that is what gave you the best no. output. No, I, th- I think that's probably right. And and as I say, I don't think this is his best songwriting. I think the song that's pretty derivative. Rate Me is basically a remake of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, Dom is just a minor chord version of On a Plane. I mean, obviously, Kurt had a limited number of ideas to play with, but it does is a great irony given how upset Geffen were with the non-commercial nature of it, that the one song that yeah. was written to be commercial, Radio Friendly Unit Shifter, A, is shit, and B, is the least stream song on the album, so it didn't work on either context. The thing that, that really struck me, and it's, it's probably because I listened to these in reverse order, is that you can really feel the bones of Dave Grohl's first Foo Fighter album, the yes. one he made I was, on his own. I, I, I was, I had this take, and I thought, oh, I'm really hesitant to say it because I don't have your um, like music history. No, it is, it is exactly uh, the the particularly that Albini Pixies snare sound, yeah. the drumming, and the general flatness of it. I, I was going to say the only thing that stops this being a Foo Fighters album is the fact that Kurt's singing on it. And not Dave. Well, you like can sort of see that Dave had written a lot of songs that were of a style that w- that would have. I mean, they had Dave's melodic touch to them, but from a production point of view, it was very Kurt and Albini kind of influenced. Mm. No, it's interesting that we both hit the same point because that that kind of, particularly the drum sound and the general flatness of the production, like for a track like "Alone and Easy Target," you can kind of see where this is the the, the evolutionary precursor of of the Foo Fighters' debut album. Um, I do wish Kurt had, had got better medication because he was clearly in it. it. It's really, I was saying, you know, it would be nice to be able to divorce it from his pain, but he can't because his pain just bleeds through. Yeah, uh, and he, even even if he'd, he'd survived this and you know got better medication than heroin, and he turned out to be a fucking rural Pacific Northwest cooker like Chris Novoselic, it still would have been a better outcome than than what we got. Yeah. Like he absolutely would have turned it. Look, this would have been the last Nirvana album, no matter what I think. Like. He absolutely would have gone solo and done something different. I don't know. I, I mean, they could have. It, the only it would have required him to give up heroin and 
you know, and, and I don't know what kind of change would have had to have been made to make him do that. Mm. Um, this album did kind of set a trend for indie bands to do the big commercial commercial big label album first and then do the album they actually wanted to do second. A lot of bands like this kind of did that. In that sense. And often the second album sucked for the same sort of reasons that, that we've just uh, described. I, I was thinking, though, listening to this album, is that the big bands now are too corporate. Like Taylor Swift doing heroin is just so ridiculous a thing to even contemplate. Like it's like, you know, a businessman is not going to let that much control slip, you know. Yeah. Might have a coke habit on the weekends, but- you know, there's no way that they're going to let let the rope that go that much to have a heroin habit. And then a band like the Bobby Lees that are like, you, you know, a, a band that you would expect, they can't afford to have a no. drug habit. There's not enough money in it. So, it, I, don't, I don't know. Music's changed a lot, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Although we were talking about offline about, you know, the the best albums of 1993, which might be an, an idea for a, a off-season podcast in the future. But yeah. when I decided to pick this, there was another 2093 album I was thinking of because there was the 30th anniversary version of Last Splash by the Breeders that had come out. And I, mm. I listened to that as well. An, an album I've been playing for the boys a bit this week, actually. But it's, it's interesting, yeah, because the Breeders, because of um, Kim Deal's history with the Pixies, were also an Albini act, although Last Splash wasn't actually recorded by Albini, possibly because he was busy with In Utero. And I, I went back and listened to that this week, and... I'm surprised that when I listened to Last Splash originally in the 90s, it was only the single that I liked. But this is actually a pretty good album. It's much more diverse. Um, yeah. But it's, 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 a, it's a good and interesting album. And it made me think about, you know, comp- sort of comparing Nirvana and, and The Breeders. And it's like, well, Nirvana never wrote a song as good as Cannonball. But Burning Out in 1994 meant that Nirvana never released a fucking piss disappointing comeback album like All Nerve. So uh, there's always yeah. that. A- and you... Like, it's a depressing thing to think about, but their legacy is a little bit protected by the fact that he committed suicide. Yeah. Well, a, well, you know, that's the thing. You can cover up all manner of shit with, with you know, the legacy of a de- dead man. I mean, I saw fucking Kobe Bryant on the cover of NBA 2K, whatever it is. I thought, what, is there a fucking Eagle Colorado side quest in this one? I mean, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> I, think, I think he'd worked really hard to rehabilitate his... Um, his legacy in the NBA, like not and not not in a PR sense. I think he'd actually tried, but that doesn't diminish the fact, does it at all? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't just you know legacy fucking wipe away. You can't just wave it away. Yeah, fucking yeah. You can't you can't do much for that, unfortunately. Should we talk DJ Shadow? We should talk DJ Shadow. I like DJ Shadow is a. a really cool interesting artist that undeniably relies on <laughs> you're speaking like a man from the 1990s but continue <laughs> no well I, I, I guess what I'm I, I would say there's nobody under the age of 45 who thinks DJ Shadow was a real cool artist <laughs> no no but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is look, like there's there's a school of thought that's like oh well he just I guess what I'm trying to say is have the interesting samples dried up for an artist like this mm-hmm. because he is an artist that relies on other people's music. Yeah. Now, and infamously the, used the, 10,000 samples in one of his early albums. Yeah, and like and he's famous for digging, you know, yes. like that 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 was his thing, you know, he would he would find stuff that other people couldn't find, but 
the facts of modern music are is it's really hard to clear samples and it's really hard to get copyright on stuff. So you end up having either to use stuff that's out of copyright or like the hoods have had to do, create your own sort of samples that you use, which sometimes aren't as cool as using 60s funk or 70s disco or something like that. Um, And the point I guess I wanted to make is you can say that you're ripping off someone's work all you want, but not many people can do it like DJ Shadow or Cut Chemist or those guys that are, or Resin Dogs that are good at, at pulling the little disparate bits out and making it into something else. There's a real skill to that. It's not just, oh, fuck, I'll, you know, I'll throw some music into a computer and I'll, you know, I'll bring out an absolute ripper of an album like Introducing was. But it just felt like the well was a little bit dry on this one. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll say it, Bezo. This album is shit. It was. It wasn't very good. It is absolute shit. It was total shit. I did not This was it. the bedroom DJ cliche of fucking bleeps and blurps and 80s yeah. twiddles and completely unconnected musical ideas within the same song, which result in completely unconnected, incoherent fucking songs, let alone a, a, some sort of connected album. We're talking like the other week about... Your your boy is getting samplers and and fucking sequences and stuff. Your your lads could probably smash something together in an hour with a sequencer yeah. and a sampler that sounded a hell of a lot like this. But the the, the yeah. risk is they might write something that doesn't sound like fucking basic ass nineteen ninety three Amiga Pro Tracker shit. There was some stuff there that it literally sounded like he'd done it on a nineties computer with the, the pitch shift of the of the samples. It was sub fucking Euro Disco nineteen ninety two shit. Yeah. Not even all the fucking Ace McWicked's imported dance condiments could make this shit interesting. <laughs> he is cruising on his dance reputation. Condiment. It is so That's dismal. Great. It's pathetic. <laughs> it's a pathetic album. Uh, it was funny because I, I got, like, these were the two albums that I was really looking forward to, right? Because I didn't know much about the third one. And I was sort of like, oh, God, for the first two, I'm like, I haven't enjoyed anything that this, at this week at all. Is this and the worst then- album of the year? It's certainly the. It, I can't work out whether this or the Chemicals Brothers album is worse. Uh, so it, it's one of the most least enjoyable. Yeah. But if you're talking about what I'd anticipated to to, to what I actually l- listened to, oh, this yeah. is proportional yeah. to expectation. Proportional expectation. This or the Chemical oh, Brothers, no. which is worse. Oh no, this is way worse. Yeah. Than the Chemical There's bits of the Chemical Brothers that I actually enjoyed. There's nothing in this that I enjoyed. No, this was. It was so fucking. It's so bad you can't figure out how he got it so right to start with. Whereas with the Chemical Brothers, you can see the bones of what they do. You can say, okay, this has the build and the structure and it has the phase up and the the build to the climax. And It's just the songs aren't very good. With this, it's like, this is fucking tedious shit. The the Chemical Brothers is like like, like what we said. It's the Formula One corporatization of their music, (laughs) right? It is. It's like like they they did that Formula One song and it's like, we need to to write write our our music for ads that can be used in- in in corporate situation, like that they did that it, Formula One crossover, like. and ever since then, that they've had the luck of like everything has turned out like the Las Vegas Grand Prix. There's been exploding fucking manhole covers and having to stay up till two thirty in the morning with no crowd and all kinds of really fun stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been um, it's been grim. So thank fuck that the week was saved by no bro. Yes. Thank fuck for feminist punk from Montreal. I thought they were, I imagine they were from Ooh. Southern California. Um, and I couldn't have been more I, I, I wrong diagonally, <laughs> you know, they were the other direction. But um, um, this was that was fun as hell. This album, really, really fun. I, 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 de- I demand to know why I have not heard one of their songs on Shawzy or 
Letterkenny yet. And at, to, to be well, fair, I haven't. Well, they're Montreal, and I think there's that kind of Quebec versus Ontario. Yeah, they, love, they love the Quebec on Chorsey. Um I have not finished that season yet. I've been sort of just doling it out very, very slowly. But this is a band that just seems just absolutely hand in glove for that for that show. It reminded me a little bit of Pornland, you know, that sort of um, absolute knowledge of what they were doing, and it's fucking funny. See, see, <laughs> um, I, I was thinking more. I was thinking more Feidler. Because they've got that Fidler? fucking yeah. I was I was even thinking a little bit a of dedication to drugs and stupidity and the understanding that this is this is counterproductive in the long term, but we're still going to have fun doing it. This a lot of these yeah, tracks. I, I, are, I was even thinking a bit of unit from, yeah, from the Gurge. Yeah, um, you know, it's that kind of upbeat party punk while the world burns. It it is kind of feel a bit like sort of Fidler and Wet Leg. There's a bit of Wet Leg there as well, just mm. because of the style. Like, but some of those tracks, like oh, I don't fucking feel like it, has been a song that's been bouncing in my head all week. It's because that's literally um, how I felt about things. Or, or, or let's let's do drugs. Let's, let's do, do drugs. drugs. Let's do drugs. Head, my head for a while. That would have been if that would have been released in like 1995. That would have been oh. a Triple J Hottest 100 number one, no question. Burner. Because Absolute that generation, adore, our generation, adored a song about drugs, and it was it's just such a perfect stupid sing along, fist in the air. Anthem, um, it's it's just so much good fun, but th- but they've they've kind of nailed so many like delete delete delete, which is the, I don't want to be on the internet. Was yeah. it, it is that got that kind of rat bag Ramones feel? It was exactly what I, I realized that this is the album I was hoping to get from Teen Jesus and the Gene Teasers, yeah. and it's and it, and I didn't quite get it because it, they it wasn't the Teen Jesus album wasn't wasn't funny enough and it wasn't fucking upbeat enough. But this is just, it's so well written as well. Yeah. Like, but my biggest problem with this album this week has been how am I going to explain to people that this is my third third or second best album? Yeah. <laughs> just play them. I don't want to be on the internet. I just, I'd, it's just remarkable that you'd, like, uh, I, again, it, it's, it's hard to explain to people how hard it is to nail something like this. Yeah. That's like, like that Pornland album. And even the um, the sex album that that Patton did, it's like uh, okay, you know, it's a bit of a weird album. Okay, but it's really fucking hard to nail it. It's really hard to walk into a studio and go, let's write a sex album, or let's write a a funk album that sounds like it's a soundtrack to a porno with lyrics that sound like it's porno but make it funny. Like those things are really hard to do without being shit yeah and when you nail it you really gotta you really gotta give them you know stand up and applaud well, and that's partic- what I wanna do particularly it's when you, awesome. particularly when you're doing something that's inherently ridiculous like party punk it does remind me a bit of the uh, electric six fire because it's like everything we're trying to do here is incredibly stupid so we have yep. to be we have to absolutely nail it and this has been the problem with yeah. electric six albums since we have to absolutely nail the brief or it's not gonna work and they do. I mean, and the thing is that it's, you know, the party punk, you'd think, okay, it's going to become tedious and they're going to reuse the same ideas. There's enough range. That's what reminded me of Fidler was the fact that they were jumping from stuff that felt like disco rock to stuff that felt like the Ramones and everything in between. And they were, they were really playing around with a lot of different stuff. And they wrote pretty much, I mean, there's 10 songs on the album. The first eight are all brilliant. The last two are good but the, the, you stack eight really, really good songs end to end, you're going to have a good album. Uh, just, just 
just remarkable. <laughs> That's all. Just absolutely remarkable. They understood the fucking uh, assignment and they nailed it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I just really don't know what else to say. Yeah, about my, it. my notes were well, the first time I listened to it was uh, this will get played regularly this week, this fortnight, and I'll have fuck all to say about it at the end except for the that was fun as hell because it was like one of those albums that you just know that this is going to be incredible amounts of fun. Yep. Um, all right, Doc. What what should we do for some new stuff I don't know, this what, week? Why don't you tell me what you like? Um, well, I, try I thought I had fire. a grime album this week, but I can't fucking find where I. Actually, the the one, um, the one that I did want to talk about was the Bamboos have an album out this this week, and I I have a really really strong feeling about Bamboos because they were the last album I paid for in full on iTunes. Um, before the Spotify era. Yeah, I feel, and, I feel like I should go back and start buying some stuff. Well, uh, like, I, I bought that album and it was just so bad. <laughs> I really did not enjoy it. Um, um, <laughs> so, I just, like, it really put me off buying music for a while. I was just like, I, and then I don't know whether it was a year or two years after that that we started doing, um, Started doing the podcast because we definitely did a Bamboos album. Yeah, this was this, and it, I, I think I even might have mentioned that when when we did the the Bamboos album is like I I really didn't like this. Um, I didn't like their last album, but anyway, um, yeah, I just I just saw that and had this visceral reaction. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm picking the Bamboos. Um, I'm gonna go Black Pumas Chronicles of a Diamond. Um. Quite liked a few tracks off their um, colours and a couple of other tracks off their first album. So let's give that a bit of a whirl. Black Pumas, which sounds like what you wear when you're a, a 1980s footballer, wearing the old Puma I Kings. I'm pretty sure the guy from Black Pumas. Let's see if I get this right. Um, oh, it's Adrian Casada. Do you mean. Yeah, from. Isn't he from? He's. Does he have something to do with uh, Hermanas Gutierrez? Is that? Oh, uh, I thought he was a separate act. I'm sure we did an album. Yeah, of but his. I think he might. He he might like it. They might be on the same label or something like that. Doesn't say whether they're on. Um, doesn't say that whether they're on because that's um, Auerbach's label. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, quite quite like a few songs off their first album. I, I it's it's sort of. Uh, I don't know whether R and B's right, but it's it's it. There's an American popular music sort of stream that it can dip into a little bit, probably John Legendy that sometimes I don't like. But let's see whether they, you know, how much they go into the bits that I like and how much they go into the bits I don't. Yeah, they're talking about heavenly hybrids of soul and symphonic pop, mind bending excursions into jazz, funk, and psychedelia, starry eyed mm-hmm. love songs that feel dropped down from the cosmos. <laughs> Doesn't fill you with confidence, does oh, it? Oh, I was there until they did the, the starry-eyed love songs. I immediately started thinking of John Legend. Yeah, songs that bang Chrissy Teigen too. Great. <laughs> Not all of us have that. Not all of us have that in our locker, my friends. Uh, anyway, Black Pumas, Puma Kings. Um, so there's that. I'm going to go for. A, I'm going to have a safe layup, and I'm going to go for the new album by Psychedelic Porn Crumpets because they're always good for an album that's worth listening to. Yep, did see that this week. They, um, they, they released at least one album a year. They're, they're like um, they're, they're like a King Gizzard who actually knows what they're fucking doing. So it's uh, 
Is that fair? Oh, I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, no, no, they don't piss about fair. with nonsense they can't do. They just know, well, we do this and we do it really well, so we're just going to fucking keep doing it. Uh, D- Dizzy Rascal was the grime artist that I was thinking of, but that album's not out yet. Oh, yeah. Well, he so. did- um, We liked his last album, I think. It was quite a yeah. few years ago now. But, uh, yeah, well, I think it might have been the second Rusket. grime album we did. Like, sort of- Rusket. Yeah, the first one after Skepta. Yeah, so. it was like 16, 17, something like that. Um, yeah. So that's psychedelic porn crumpets. What shall we do for the Joker? <laughs> are we, we going to do the flute album? No, no, we're not going to do the flute album. <laughs> oh, you can listen to the flute album I in your like- own time. I'm not interested in Dre Three Thousand's flute album. I heard a bit of it and I thought, yep, that's an album of flute. I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that. I have no interest in that. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so funny. If I could convince you to do that for the Joker, I will be listening to that album. I think it'll be fun to listen you, to. You listen to that. You can get back just and say how much, how, how fucking seen you would have been as a little junior flute artist. <laughs> have you have you, um, have you, you had a look at the song titles, though? Yeah, I think one, this is the first was, one. Like, yeah, I really, really wanted to do a hardcore rap album, but it, this is what I ended up doing. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> there, there, there's some just all-time, all-time song titles in-, in uh, in that one. Yeah, but dumb song titles don't make up for the fact if you're just playing flute music. I mean, you wouldn't, if it was Kenny G, it wouldn't matter what the fucking song titles were. It's called Andre 3000 Digs Jazz. No, that's not it. It's a playlist. No, that makes that makes a lot more sense if he's got a playlist called that. Uh, yeah, this is the one. This, the, the slang word pussy rolls off the tongue with far better emphasis than the word vagina. Discuss. <laughs> It's just like, okay, you were really fucking high when you made this up. Well, the thing is that I saw some some interview or some quote of it, it was, and it's like, like everyone's sort of on my case because I haven't done this fucking rap album. And it's like, I'm 48 years old. I just don't, I don't, I don't feel like rapping about shit anymore. I don't have bars. Yeah. But if I was going to have bars, it would be about, oh, I had to, you know, what are the pressing things in my life now? I have to go and get a colonoscopy. That's the, that's the sort of stuff, the bu- sort of bars I'd be spinning now. Yeah, well, which is why Format and Habs, like, mm. like that album of theirs, just, was just so funny because they're just like, oh, we got bars. We got bars about taxes. Yes, and, we got bars about answering and, emails, and, 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 putting and, and in funding applications to art, a show. Art, community art campaigns. <laughs> No colonoscopies, uh, though, uh, for, for Andre, Andre 3000. Uh, what what have you got for the Joker, then, if I've been shot down for the flute? I, I, look, I respect I respect your interest in flute. Um, I have no interest in flute. And, uh, um, it would be, and I'm sure we'd listen to it and we'd go, yep, that was an album of flute. Um, flute, yeah. I can't really compare it to all the other albums of flute that I've listened to. Uh, great. Um, it, can't, it can't be worse than that DJ Shadow album. So. Uh, well, well, you'll have to get back to us on that one. Yeah, yeah. I, this afternoon, I discovered a band called The Scratch, which is not named after the um, the, uh, the the very cool um, dive bar in Milton, but is a band of Irish reprobates who play mix up traditional Irish music and thrash metal. And I think now Irish music has found, <laughs> and you and you're saying my flute music well, is the not thing, appropriate. The why okay. I'm interested to in this is that you know, Irish music has often found its way into you know rock music and into punk music. You know, Dropkick Murphys and the Pogues and stuff. Yeah. I've never heard it find its way into metal. I'm wondering yeah. if this will be like an alien weaponry for Celtic pride. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right. I'm a little bit more convinced. 
or it might just be a fiddly dee and fiddly do. It might just sound like River Dance has has gone gothic. But um, yeah, I'm just interested to see um, to, to just to see what it is because it's a Joker album. Yeah, uh, and I do like shit mash together, so that sounds cool. All right, sweet. I just looked up oh. Scratch and I got Lee Scratch Perry, which is a very different kind of vibe. Yeah, Lee Scratch Perry. This is what I'm like Lee Perry. I'm very on, like the microphone, and then I'm gone. I'm like, what oh, now? Sure shot. The Scratch are a four-piece act from Dublin, Ireland, born from a shared love of metal and traditional Irish music. <laughs> so that should be interesting. Their album is called Mind Yourself. Fucking mind yourself, I, I, you bastard. I, I have to say, if we... um. If we've managed to find a way to, to uh, talk to each other where we don't need to um, allow for an, a, an, a huge amount of delay and talk over the, all over the top of each other, our podcast might actually, you know, go somewhere after six or seven no, years. No, will um, <laughs> it'll be my excuse then. <laughs> it's like, man, the doc's gotten really polite. What's going on? <laughs> I have to edit it so that I'm still talking over you. I have to sort of <laughs> time right. slip my, just, my audio just, by about uh, two uh, seconds so I constantly come in over the top of you. <laughs> uh, all right, Tim. I'll catch you on the flip side. Cheers, man. Yeah. I